0: Hey everybody, welcome. Welcome to today's live stream. Welcome to the Industry 4.0 weekly live QA. So good to see you guys here. Michael dowdell Welcome from Quad How do you say that? Alexander Bertho, welcome. You guys, we're live here every week at Tuesday noon Central Standard Time, answering your questions about Industry 4.0 iot and digital transformation so make sure to uh s- hit the subscribe button and ring the bell to get notified every time we go live and upload a new video i'm here with uh walker reynolds welcome
1: what up yo hey, Joe? hey brendan uh, i see dan ryken and phil and scruggs vaughn nice. and vaughn turner welcome vaughn what up i see raviel from one-way automation all right, awesome. So Zach and Vaughn, bon, what's up, man? How you guys been? Oh, you know, just
0: doing this, doing that, this and that.
1: <laughs> Excellent. I'm
0: back. I'm back in. I'm back in Salt Lake City.
1: Uh, I la- actually like that style. I see your vibe board back there. All right. All right so real quick, uh, housekeeping. So we're gonna do the Q and A just a hair different this week. It'll be mostly the same, but I want to do. I want to answer at least um, two or three questions from the Rick, chat. Rick Bellata's questions. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Rick Bellata, Right. So, um, th- where, where can I see whatever he wrote? I didn't see that. I, I know you told me, but I, I didn't see it. Where is it?
0: Oh, he shared it on LinkedIn. Does someone want to share it? Share the, the link to the, okay, so what uh, I, what I'd like shared is... it on LinkedIn and tag me and you on it. <clears throat>
1: If anybody has um, any questions, please put them in the chat that you want me to answer. Like I, I saw Mark Rishi asked a bunch of really cool questions about NQTT and stuff in Discord. Um, the So just some housekeeping stuff. Like I'm, um, I've am i been super busy and dealing with, um, you know, uh, some personal stuff going on at home and, and, you know, which is, you know, part of life and... Um, and then some stuff going on in the office. I've been really, really busy. I'm like buried in projects. And um, so I I haven't actually had a chance to answer a lot of questions in Discord. I did answer a few of them, but I haven't had a chance to answer a lot of them. So um, what I'd like to do is if you guys have any questions that I haven't answered you want me to answer, just drop it in the chat. Um, And then I'll pick two or three of them to answer here. I've got, uh, I think I've got four. That we're gonna to answer today, but I'm gonna do some updates. Here's and, what here's what Rick said. But let, let's start with Rick Bellata, um, which who by the way I, I like Rick a lot. Um,
0: for those of you guys that don't know, what did Rick do? I don't know. What's Rick, what did, what's
1: Rick famous for? He is famous for something. What is it? PTC. Co-founder of PTC. Oh, right, believe? right, 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 right. He's the former PTC guy, right? Yeah, and he was one mm-hmm. of the he was the, the guy who sold it. All right, so Rick says, um go ahead and make that full screen way so yo walker reynolds and zach screen Zach Scribble, what happened to your industry 4.0 podcast i wanted to come on and set you straight on mqtt and spark Plug. there's some unfinished discussion to be had let's do this and no i'm definitely not an opc ua fanboy i'd love to do it rick um in fact uh, i when the guys told me they're like hey you know rick wants to set us straight uh, the plan was to just bring you on the live Q&A this week and just say, hey, Rick, set us straight. <laughs> that was actually the plan. But I, I, I think we a- asked him, like, with too short a notice. So, um, so Rick, to answer your question, if you, if you do watch the live Q&A, uh, yeah, let's do it. We can either do it as a podcast or um, we can just do it, like, in one of the live streams. Um, I think podcast format's better um, just because... Um, if we go long, you know, if we, we can go as long as we want and then we can have at, you know, Zach chop it up if we want to, or we can post both the lie, the full thing or a piece that's, um, I think it's better to do it that way. Also, we yep. get better video quality when we do it as a podcast, as opposed to doing it through restream micro content. So, um, you guys are keeping track of the questions, right? Vaughn that are in the chat. Yeah. So so if you guys don't follow Rick on LinkedIn, um, I recommend you do Rick Lulata. Um, he's a very, very opinionated guy, just like I am. Um, he's also, uh, insanely rich. Um, and so he has what we in the, in the industry industry. like to say is, uh, fuck you money. And so he likes to say, fuck you a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that. I do it all the time. So, um, all right, real quick. Let me let me go ahead and uh, share my screen and uh... and he went to Cornell, too. So, oh, did
0: he really? <laughs> yes. I, I s- you get a new, hey. Why does your why does your screen? Look, uh, why does your camera look so good,
1: Walker? <laughs> Zach wants to take credit for this. So uh, we'll give you guys. Actually, I want to I want to do two quick updates. So I'm a, I want to do a shout out uh, to Cheryl McCrary real quick. Um. So everybody who's in master said she, she
0: set us straight, basically.
1: Yeah, everybody who's in Mastermind already knows this because um, I, 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 I talked about it in the Mastermind session last, last Friday. But um, So Cheryl uh, flew out here. She was out here in Dallas last week, right? It was last week? Yeah. Right. So Cheryl was out here in Dallas at the beginning of last week doing um, a, like a two-day workshop with us, um, all centered around like messaging. And, you know, she's like, hey, listen, your message has grown so big. Um, you have lots of people hijacking. You know, she, you know, basically at the end of the day there, you have to have a strategy to continue to maintain the authority over what you're putting out into the community in in, in a nutshell, you know, and, and like, there are definitely people, I mean, there was a, there's a, there's like an integrator. I don't know. I don't know if they're in South America or if they're in, um, you know, if they're somewhere else, but I mean, there's an integrator who literally took my words, like word for word and put them on their website and like launched it like you know end of last year but they didn't credit anything i said um and which is kind of ridiculous there's i mean they obviously this is obviously stuff they got from our content and they put it on their website and never referenced us and and part of what um Cheryl is saying is is that you know is if they got all the words right if she she said it if they get all the words right great right but they're they're gonna take that and do something with it, you know. There's gonna be any that that's just a point in time there, and you don't have any authority over that. So you need you you need to have a strategy for maintaining authority over your message. And so Cheryl came out here to work with our team on that type of message, right? How to do that? Um, we had a chance for me to tell Cheryl like, hey, this is what I actually believe, and and I talked about in mastermind about how you know, maybe Cheryl was shocked by this or not, because, you know, there are a lot of business people out there who say they're not money motivated and that they really are mission driven. And then all of a sudden you find out they're money motivated. Um, I think Cheryl, (laughs) Cheryl found out for real that I'm really, I'm not money motivated. Everything I talk about is mission based. And, you know, my, my three priorities when it comes to content, you know, let's build an audience that wants to hear what we have to say. Let's say something valuable. And, you know, number three, let's maintain our authority. Like, you know mm-hmm. that's all the focus it's not about money and all that stuff yeah, like, I, I pay heard. yeah i pay other people to make sure that we don't go out of business it's not i'm not focused on any of that stuff so i think Cheryl was kind of maybe she was surprised maybe she wasn't but w- yeah. let me say this i and i'm giving her effusive praise here because the if if you guys have a business that's a growing business 4.0 solutions is only um it's one of five companies in my automation group and it's a young company. It started in January, and you know we got it. You know we started it two years ago, but we we jumped in with both feet in January. Um, and we've grown super, 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 super fast, and with growth comes all sorts of problems. If you're in one of those scenarios, so like companies that I can think are going to be in those scenarios, like EctoBox is going to grow, you know at at a rate. You know Kevin Jones is going to obviously have to deal with that with his company, and and Mario Ishigawa is going to have to deal that deal with that with. Uh, pack iot right there's a lot of a lot of companies out there that as they're growing they're going to especially if they're doing content they're going to have trouble maintaining authority over their unique messages the novel messages cheryl is your person like you get on the phone with cheryl you either get her out in your office you have a phone call with her whatever it is the that interaction with her was invaluable for us over the course of the the two days um and in what I found, you know, out here, we we, we kind of just go wherever we want to go with a conversation. We're very organic. And we derailed Cheryl all the time. I mean, every conversation was derailed. You know, if you looked at her notes, she did a phenomenal job of accomplishing her goals in spite of the fact that we take the message everywhere. So um, cannot say enough about uh, Cheryl's expertise um, and what she has done for our, um, for us and and ultimately for the community. So thank you to Cheryl for that. Um, all right. Uh, number two, you guys, uh, may know that we launched, um, another, um, channel called, uh, uh, adversity and success. It's for, meant for a much broader audience on YouTube. Um, in, and, um, it's definitely different than the content we do here. It's non-technical. It's all centered around, uh, life lessons, business lessons, relationship lessons, that kind of stuff. Um, you know in and i in uh, really the audience is sort of me talking to my grandchildren kind of that's sort of the the way that i'm the the way that we're shooting the content but it's all centered around like basically truisms in business truisms in at work in, in truisms in relationships and sort of connecting the dots in the way that i i'm doing the same thing in that content that i'm doing with technical content taking complex stuff and breaking it down to its simplest elements um it and And at various times in people's lives, I think the stuff that we're doing on adversity and success is going to be valuable to people. And so, you know, check out the channel. I dropped the link in the comments. Yeah. If you think it's, if there's someone who could benefit from it, please share it with them. Um, You know, we want to impact uh, as many people as we possibly can. So, um, all right. Thank you for that. All right. Let's go. uh, One last thing you guys may know that we're doing. we want to give a big thank you to EasyVPN. One of the things that we're wor- they're the sponsor for September, uh, the channel sponsor for September. Um, I got to tell you, man, <laughs> the IO Hub is. Um, I had set exp- I had expectations going in <coughs> as to what I was going to see, and I sort of expected to see something in the vein of litmus automation or sorba iot that's kind of what i was expecting except it would be running on an industrial vpn okay so for those of you don't know if you haven't heard about easy vpn i have their appliance back there but the real nuts and bolts of it is io hub which is a platform (coughs) for deploying docker containers for industrial use excuse me hold on (coughs) and um and at the core of it is this this um, Linux distribution for industry um, anyway I've had a chance to play with the iO hub Zach's actually going to be doing a lot uh, some more work we're going to be shooting some additional content on it um, that should really help hope, hopefully show you guys what we're doing um, or the val- what the value of iOHub is but if you get a chance please go to is it easyvpnio.io Zach
0: Easyvpn.online. Dot online.
1: Yeah. Please, please check them out. I mean, they, you know, they make all, all the content that we did this month possible. So, I mean, they, they picked up the bill for, for this community. So it, it would be great if you guys would go and, and, you know, click and check on their, um, check, check their, their site out. It only takes you a second and it tells other companies that we believe in, you know, like companies like high and all that kind of stuff, you know, Hey, there's, there's value in supporting the community. Um, all right. Uh, last thing, um, October 21st and 22nd. So what we decided to do was because the Canary Labs event had to get canceled in Chicago because of COVID, um, we decided to take a piece of that and, and do a, a live virtual training for our mastermind group, okay? But a lot of people asked us to extend that to people who are not in mastermind. So what we're going to be doing on October 21st and 22nd, it's a two-day event all day long, both days. Okay. Uh, we're going to be doing, you know, for day one is going to be foundational stuff. And um, so industry 4.0 training, as well as um, factory studio frameworks training in day one. Day two is going to be a full unified namespace build in the vein of the UNS build we did a year ago with Ignition. We're going to do it with frameworks. Um, we're doing hands-on training. We're going to be we're partnering with Opto Twenty Two as well. He's Vaughn. Did we get that finalized? The the Opto Twenty. I, you're talking to Benson, right? And all that. Yes, we have a meeting with him today, actually. Okay, so we're gonna be we're gonna be partnering with Opto Twenty Two on this. Uh, as far as I know, uh, you know Benson has said yes, but we haven't quali- well, you know, we haven't and finalized. And Canary,
0: it. Canary, who's the sponsor of the entire month of October, right?
1: Right, and we'll be yeah. sponsoring, and we'll be working with Canary. That so those, uh,
0: the Canary got that built-in 500 tag license into every frameworks installation.
1: Correct. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be teaching industry 4.0 principles by me, hands-on training exercises and foundational strategy. Architect- that'll be day one. Uh, we'll be doing architecting a UNS with frameworks by Tatsoft. That's day two. That also includes canary- the 500-tag Canary license. That'll be in there. Um, we're going to be integrating with a Opto22 Groove Rep- Epic or Rio, but we got to finalize that with Benson today. You'll learn the 4.0's R method for end-to-end enterprise integration. But you know we'll probably do it with say 50 tags, 25 to 50 tags, something like that. And it's really the audience is really systems integrators or end users, right? So it's not really vendors or anything like that. Quick
0: um, note: if you're <coughs> in, if you're in our mastermind program, I, if you if you didn't catch that earlier, I'm going
1: to I'm going to take care of it. So this is really for the mastermind folks, but other people have asked to join it, so. Because Mastermind is a paid program, we can't just let people join. So we just came up with a price off the top of our head. and you can per, you can participate virtually if you you know um, just a la carte or uh, if, you, if you do this virtual training and you decide you want to join the Mastermind program, which is us teaching you how to um, lead and architect industry 4.0 solutions, right? Uh, Digital transformation initiatives. The whatever you pay for this to attend will apply to the cost of mastermind. So you, you, um, we tried to make it as easy as humanly possible. Anyway, um, early thank bird tickets are on sale through October 1st, right? Yep. Okay. Did I get everything? You happy with yeah, me? Thank you, dude. Thank you. Okay. You got me. All right. Cool. Yeah. Give me. I was not uh, sure the... you were
0: aware of that, that special bonus we were doing, but yeah, thanks.
1: All right. Got it. Um, all right. So, we're up to 12, over 12,500 subscribers. It's insane.
0: It's insane.
1: <coughs> yep. Discord's, Discord's
0: been growing. Almost 3,000, right?
1: Blowing up. Yeah, it's really... I mean, we're going to end up uh, having to add someone to the team to take over responsibility of funneling the Discord messages to us that we absolutely have to answer. Um, we're going to be putting together an FAQ on how to get the most out of Discord, so especially if you're a new user and you join the Discord, like, hey, how to get to the most important messages, how do you do a search, what channels should you read first, that kind of stuff. So we'll be putting together an FAQ for that, and we're actually going to sh- shoot some content centered around that. Um, big thanks to EasyVPN for being the sponsor this month. Canary Labs is the um, community sponsor for next month. Uh, we're also working with a co- no, uh, maybe a half dozen other companies um, on potentially sponsoring the community actually they're reaching out to us so i we expect we suspect that it'll happen all right we'll get to the get to the question so zach uh did you guys add um um any questions in here that I, I need to answer or do you want me to add them add them at the end
0: yeah we'll add them at the end i'm, I'm going through them again to make sure that we didn't miss any
1: uh, to answer mm's question have we ever shot a video to show how to use device wise with ignition we've never shot the video but that's a great idea for a video for us to shoot um, that's uh, by the way to integrate you can integrate ignition to device with device wise in like 500 different ways so the what would be interesting about that video is what's the best way to connect ignition to device wise um, Uh, real quick. No solution for ARM yet. Blah, blah, blah. All right. I wanted to. So, if you guys may have known we published a video on 5G um, this past week. Uh, we just sort of shot it off the top of our head. I did a, I was part of an industry panel for Tech Data last week. Uh, I think it was me and three other people from Tech Data, and we were talking about 5G and IIoT, um, right? <clears throat> And I want to talk about five G a little bit here. Uh, in addition to that video, if you didn't get a chance, please please check out that video. But uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Emil um, Akbar. Big thanks to him. You know, he said, you know, Emil, if you haven't, you know, he has a he's an online educator, bunch of Udemy classes, like, you know, he <clears throat> he teaches industrial automation. So um, he he said he gave us a shout out, and I wanted to you know pat ourselves on the back because it's hard work shooting this content he said i've read article after article on 5g um all of them have said that this would be the best thing since sliced bread but none could properly articulate how in terms of the real world walker just did in 22 minutes what all of those articles could not this blew my mind super practical thanks a million i'm gonna jump on qualcomm's website uh thank you emil tip of the hat to you sir um Uh, I want to clarify a couple things on the 5g thing. Um, 5g really is a, um, a major, major game changer. The crux of the video that we shot on 5g and industry 4.0 is this 5g is not the equivalent of moving from 3g to 4g going from 4g to 5g. It's not; they're not the equivalent, the same equivalent. Okay, when I moved from 3G, when we moved from 3G um, cellular technology to 4G, we went from being able to send pictures and video in a completely unreasonable amount of time, right? That which made it not practical. 3G was just so slow that it wasn't worth it in most cases. Okay, in terms of data-wise, you know, browsing the web was problematic, etc. When I moved to 4G, it made it practical, but it didn't make it useful. And what I mean here is is that 4G LTE is effective, um, is effective in some use cases, but we all self-filter the things that we will do over cellular technology, and security isn't the reason we do it. I mean, everyone has tested the idea that I'm going to, you know, use a hotspot for my my internet, or I'm going to use a hotspot in my recreational vehicle, or <laughs> I'm going to share cell, my cell my mobile connection um, from you know one device to from my cell phone to other devices, and anyone who has done that has n- has discovered that Doesn't it work. isn't it is it's practical. That is, with one device, I can in practice, I can download a video at a high speed, I can transfer big files, but no one is is transferring you know a virtual machine over 4G LTE. I'm not I'm not uploading a 40 gig virtual machine to um, a cloud-based file share for me to share with another teammate. You don't do that, okay? Why? Because it isn't useful in that way, all right? Why is it not useful? Well, really, it's two reasons, okay? Uh, number one, 4G LTE isn't stable enough for you to trust transmitting a 40 gig file, okay, across, uh, over cellular. And number two, the number of connections that you are, that, uh, that is the number of devices that can connect to a cellular tower over 4G is too low. And so there's all sorts of throttling There's all these artificial tools that the the cell companies use to throttle your data to make sure that a all the that all the devices that need to connect can, okay, and those who are connected have the the bandwidth they need to get a practical amount of bandwidth, but not a useful amount of bandwidth. Five G. Has a 500x impact on speed. 500. That is with latencies dropping down to one, two, three, four, five milliseconds from 25 to 250 milliseconds. Okay. That is the round trip it takes for communication is dropping to like fiber speeds. Okay. Fiber latencies. And the number of the, the bandwidth goes from, say, 20 meg to 100, 200, all the way up to 20 you know 20 gig a second in at peak right that has a 500x impact on uh bandwidth on speed over a 5g network from 4g okay but here's the kick yeah here's the kicker yeah they stack they have a you know as latency goes down as latency go down you know late, latency is only is is simply priority you know, like I may be able to send a. a the speed is basically how many cars <clears throat> come off the road in a given second, right? Um, latency is how fast I can send a car in that direction and then back to me, okay? Got it. Bandwidth is how, how wide the road is, okay? Yeah. The speed at which I, I can send a car uh, on the road and back has dropped from 25 to 250 milliseconds down to 1 to 5 milliseconds and the number of cars i can put on the road has gone is 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 100 times as wide so the impact is a 500x impact but the real kicker is the number of devices you know a regular cell tower can handle tens of thousands of connections okay so that is the number of devices that can be connected to it okay with 5G, you go to millions. And the reason you go to millions is because of, well, really two things. A, the, the you can connect more devices just functionally with 5G, but also you're using device-to-device um, device and mesh for um, connecting other devices that may not be able to talk to the tower, right? Um, and so the, what's the real impact of 5G? It's in, the, in our personal lives – we're not going to have internet service providers at home. I, I promise you. Ten years from today, everything's going to be over. You know, with like wide a adoption a uni- of a unified
0: unified network.
1: Correct. Right now, we have two separate. We have mobile for certain use cases. Right. Hey, I can live with being on LTE 4G. That makes sense in, for these things. But at I but I need to get home to do this this and this. No, that all gets merged together. Albert um,
0: says he wants to go test his latency just based on this knowledge.
1: Yeah. Um, your Albert, your buddy, Albert, go to, go to
0: UCLA or go to speed test. Yeah. Go
1: to, go to speed test is that's the best place. That's, that's the UCLA engine. Um, and then, and then the second impact is, um, you know, in, in industry, the, the, you know, corporate networks are going to be on a 5g backbone. They're not going to be these local physical networks connected to a core that goes to an ISP. That's not the future that isn't the future. In fact, uh, we have a client who's on this call right now, who I know is looking at, I think their, their whole campus is moving to, you know, private 5G and their whole campus. Um, all right. So th- that, that 5G video was controversial, by the way. I got a bunch of messages and there's a lot of people who believe- What was some of the negative feedback? They don't believe that it's, uh, they believe that, it, you know, uh, cell companies are over-promising and they're going to under-deliver. Um, And anybody who said that just they simply don't understand the technology. And um, I touched on all the things that matter, right? I I touched on all the pieces. I'm going to touch on a couple of more here in a second. Um, All right. Number two, I want to answer Niles Kaiser's question. I'm researching the possibilities with a Siemens S7 1500 PLC. Siemens has a library that supports MQTT 311. Because the library is MQTT 311, does this mean it supports Sparkplug B or not? If not, do I have to buy an edge-of-network device that is connected to the Siemens PLC, which is compatible with Sparkplug B? And where can I find out if my edge-of-network device is compatible with Sparkplug B? Great question. So let me answer them in order. Um, because the library is MQTT 311, does this mean it supports Sparkplug B or not? The answer is no, it doesn't support Sparkplug B. The specific library you're referring referring to... <clears throat> and I don't know all the backstory, I know most of it, but basically it was developed by some guy in Brazil. It wasn't developed by Siemens originally, um, so there's a function block that you can, u- using TIA Portal, you can add this function block that will go into like a 1,200 or 1,500 that will allow you to, you can actually either tra- um, publish or subscribe or publish um, single blocks or single registers or, or blocks of registers. Uh, in a Siemens S7 1500 or 1200, but not over Sparkplug B. So it's just going to be vanilla uh, MQTT 311. Um So the next question is, and and now Siemens manages that function block. It used to be just like the, the guy, this guy that you could download it from, and now it's yeah. What do you what do you think? Siemens.
0: What do you think uh, Rick's going to say about Sparkplug B? Like what is what is the common common complaints of Sparkplug B?
1: I think Rick is going to give me. A, I actually I know what he's going to say. So Rick, if you're watching, I already know what you're going to say. Um, Rick Rick is going to give me an ab, an abstracted philosophical argument uh, for the um, for how the gaps in MQTT and Sparkplug B will not meet industry's needs, and he will do that rightfully so because he doesn't know all the other pieces we teach, right? So I think what he's going to do is come in and say, I think he's going to come in with the mindset, MQTT, spark plug B, since it can't solve every problem, then it can't solve the problems. right? That's what, that's what Rick's going to do. He's going to give me that abstracted philosophical argument. We um, should do
0: it like an actual debate because that was one thing that people said that they were kind of anticipating You need is having it more like an actual debate. You, you know? need a
1: moderator. You need a moderator and you need a moderator who knows what they're doing in debates. That's the only yeah. reason we didn't do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that's what Rick will say. And I mean, and, and it, it's a fair argument. And what we'll do is close the gap. And I think we should do it cr- Socratically. So I think he and I should agree to only ask questions, right? So we should... Challenge only through questions, um, as opposed to making declarative statements. Um, all right, well, let me answer this question here. Yeah, so he says, if not, do I have to buy an edge of network device <coughs> that's connected to the Siemens PLZ, which is compatible with Spear- Spark Publi? The answer is yes. There are many ways to do this. Um, the most common implementation for us. So we have a very large enterprise. Uh, so one of our case studies is. Um, uh, a company that uh, basically does mobile municipal wastewater. Uh, it's like a new age thing where you know they basically have a water wastewater treatment facility on wheels, and they mm-hmm. have hundreds and hundreds of them all over the you know. Like wastewater and, 4.0. Yeah, and they yeah it's in it's it's wastewater 4.0. And they they have also they have two Siemens PLCs on their rigs, and um, the way that we integrated we use Advantek UNOs. So Advantek UNOs running Ignition Edge, actually full blown Ignition running a full blown ignition using the Siemens driver. I think it was like 250 bucks a piece, but you'll notice inductive automation changed the pricing of that driver. And there's no question that it was <laughs> it, our project was part of that. Um, could you do that project today with the IO hub? You could do it with IO hub. You could do it with litmus automation. You could do it with uh, factory studio. You could, do, I mean, you could do it with- Any IoT uh, platform? Uh, well, it doesn't even have to be a platform. There are some tools like you could use the 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 CMT SVR from Maple Systems because that has a Siemens driver on it. Um, you could use you could sure. use a, a Easy Rack PLC because it it can talk to the Siemens um, PLC and you know just pull those tags. Uh, yeah, agree with Cheryl R- Walker and Rick will create plenty of controversy on their own. No debate format needed. Actually, I think it'll be very entertaining for people because Rick and I. very similar similar personalities um the um there are many different ways to do it the way that we did it in that big implementation was we used ignition on the edge Mm. um we wrote our own mqtt transmitter now we did not use CirrusLink's links mqtt transmitter um so we took basically the namespace from the siemens plc we wrote our own mqtt transmitter in python that we called we actually Manage that using Docker is the way that we're actually managing it, um, and uh, and then we transmit to a to an MQTT broker in the cloud where the we have an IoT platform that basically takes all those tags and we 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 it goes to the enterprise SCADA system that monitors all the rigs. Okay, um, uh, just be careful with CPU architecture and OS. We are finding some glaring fails. Correct. Um, we that's why we switched to Linux on the Edge, Michael, um, Michael Dowdell, We switched to Linux. We were originally running Windows on the Edge, and we switched uh, we switched to Linux for it. Um, all right, and then his last question is: Where can I find out if my Edge of Network device is compatible with Sparkplug B? A couple things: You're always going to see the Sparkplug logo if they're a member. So most vendors who have added Sparkplug support have joined the Sparkplug Working Group. If they join the Spark Plug Working Group, they get a little Spark Plug logo and they actually put it on their device. But there are many vendors out there who have added Spark Plug support and they haven't joined the Working Group um, because it is very easy to add Spark Plug support. Uh, you can basically do, I mean, like Easy Automation, who makes the Easy Rack PLCs, they did it in a day. Okay. They had the beta done in, in 48 hours. So this is one of our big arguments on OPC UA is you have to spend a lot of money. Um, to add for yeah for every there's capability you want to add, you, it costs a lot of money in development. It's not cheap. Uh, I mean, a lot of time. It's just labor. Um, so you can go to the Eclipse Foundation's um, website and look at the members. You can also um, go to Cirrus Link's website, and they ha- actually have a list of all the vendors who make, you know, so like Hillshire And I mean, there's hundreds of them. So, I mean, there's no way for us to list them all to you. Um, all right. Let's go to Sweeper240's um, question on 5G. <clears throat> Hopefully I answer that. Um, what about the inherent advantages and disadvantage of beamforming and massive MIMO, MIMO, which are required for 5G and give it the ability for devices to be geolo- geolocated within an inch? Suddenly, manufacturing assets could be pre- precisely known Geospatially, as would a personal phone. Okay, so I'm not going to talk about the advantages and disadvantages. Um, beamforming in MIMO. Uh, the the main disadvantage is going to be um, the main disadvantage is going to be there might be privacy related issues. Okay, that's the the primary disadvantage. But what I want to do is I'm going to give you guys a couple of links instead of me explaining MIMO. Um, okay. Um, and beamforming. I prefer metaswitch's definition uh, of beamforming, but go ahead and read those, gang, at some point. Um, What you need to understand is that beamforming is the application of multiple radiating elements transmitting the same signal at an identical wavelength and phase, which combined to create a single antenna with a longer, more targeted stream, which is formed by reinforcing the waves in a specific direction, okay? So what it really means is that you have multiple devices at origin instead of one device at origin to create your signal, okay? Um, And then MIMO, MIMO systems require a combination of antenna expansion and complex algorithms. MIMO is multifaceted, but it's been used in wireless communications for a long time. It's common for both mobile devices and networks to have multiple antennas. To enhance connectivity and offer better speeds and user experiences, the real thing with MIMO is the algorithms used that control how data maps into antennas and where to focus energy in space. Okay, both network and mobile devices need to have a tight coordination among each other to make MIMO work. The consequences of both, okay, I think we had MIMO, right? The consequences of both are, it, are of having both MIMO and, and beamforming in 5G is that. The in order, in order for those algorithms to be able to optimize um, the antennas and to be able to decide which device to use um, that creates the beam, um, right. you have to know the location of the device, okay? And so they use a lot of technology, software technology primarily, in, combina- in conjunction with triangulation to do a much better job of figuring out where a device is in space Within the um, radio waves, okay, w- within the beam, okay. There's no disadvantage to that, okay. It, there's it's, it's a, there's a, the only outside of privacy. Well, I mean, here's a really common use case that we get all the time. What, a project that we did, I'm gonna say it was five years ago now, six years ago, okay, um, was in South Texas, in Tilden, Texas, actually. There was a there was an oil and gas customer who had a a a process that was a subset of a refinery, and it was outdoors. And those of you who haven't spent any time in in um, South Texas, a lot of those facilities are not they're not in buildings. Okay, so they're literally they're built out of doors. So like what you would imagine to see in a plant is just there's no building around it. Okay. Now, there's all sorts of issues with that, like mainly that you got to put conduit in the dirt, in the ground, to get to run wires from, say, your control room or whatever out to all your devices. There's no ceiling. There's no, there's no structure for you to run conduit on, that kind of stuff. So expansion becomes sort of problematic, and it adds cost, right? Oh, I'm going to have to run a bunch of conduit, blah, 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 <coughs> I don't have to just J-boxes in the ceiling to drop wires from. So one of the things that they had was in their control room their operators every hour were supposed to go out into this sub process of this refinery and they were supposed to walk up to temperature gauges and pressure gauges and stuff and take readings and they were supposed to just put them on a piece of paper right so they they were using a delta v system um to they were using a delta v system to um collect the data now they were collecting the data via SCADA. But there were some instruments that weren't connected because they weren't smart. Okay. So there was no, they didn't have four to 20, zero to 10 or anything, but, but they had had some safety incidents in the past where the, um, they required, they wrote a policy requiring that the operator needed to see with their own eyes, what the measurement on the, on the gauge was, they had both a, um, um, smart sensor, a field sensor that was collecting the data, but then they also had just a analog sensor out there that you could see with your eyes. They were using redundant sensors. And so they wanted the operators to go out and confirm that that value was correct, okay? For two reasons. They wanted to know when sensors were going bad, um, but also for safety reasons. What, What was the obvious consequence of that? Operators started every hour. Yes, Cheryl. The obvious consequence was operators started pencil whipping, okay? So they would just, you know, middle of the night, the operator doesn't want to walk around there, so yeah, met Kendall. So the operator stayed away. So the they wanted they just started pencil whipping on the on the clipboard, right? So then what they started doing was they put camera cameras, you know, out there. Well, their union or whatever flipped out, and so they got rid of the cameras. <clears throat> so they hired us. What they said they wanted to do was they wanted to make sure they wanted to have the operators no longer collect that on a piece of paper. They wanted the operator to collect it digitally so that you could combine the value that was in Delta V with the value that the operator collected, and we could store that in a database. So they originally hired, and and they they hired us to to basically digitally transform that piece. But the big thing was they wanted to make sure the operator was standing in front of the sensor. And the reason they hired us specifically, because lots of people could digitize it, was that we had the ability to capture the GPS coordinates in their smart device and geofence the the data collection. So basically tablet in hand, walk up to sensor, I'm within the geofence. Now the field on the on the mobile device is is enabled. Walk outside of the geofence, the the field that they're supposed to enter the measurement into is no longer enabled. Right? That project was pretty expensive. I mean for only, you know, for a sheet that only had like 18 rows on it that they were going to do once per hour. I mean, they spent like $250,000 for us to do that. That's pretty expensive, but it would have been a lot easier had the 5g. So had the network been 5g and we could just extract, we could just pull the, we could create the, the geo fence using 5g, um, or using the coordinates from fi- from the 5g um, backbone. Um, it would have been a lot easier and wouldn't have cost nearly as much money then what we, we we had basically had to write an iOS application that would extract the location. And then we had to convert that It's um, an expensive that that'll be far easier with a 5G infrastructure. And there are lots and lots and lots and lots of people out there who have this kind of use case that they mm-hmm. th, that they they want to solve. So um, all right. Any questions? Hey, folks. Well. Zach, uh, what question do you guys want me to answer from the chat? Zach, did you already pick one? Vaughn, bon, whoever,
0: uh, DCI asked how is elastic stack usage for predictive maintenance?
1: That's that. we need a video there. I can't do that in 15 minutes. <laughs> um, sc- scroll up and look at the other, let me look up here. I, did you guys pick them or. Yeah, there was one more. Yeah, we did have one from, uh, John McKeon, um. He said he had his need for an edge gateway with up to 10 IOs with export to broker via MQTT over LTE. This gateway needs to be sub $100 any pointers. What I.O. does he need, did he say? Did he say what form? Uh, no, just with export to broker via MQTT. All, All right, here we want go. To answer, how, how, b- answer how big multinational companies have great talents and great resources and still struggling to implement digital transformation. This is actually a great question. Uh, you, uh, Zach, when is the, that masterclass, uh, or it, it, this is already available in the masterclass. All right. So I, I'll go ahead and answer this, this question for you. In fact, um, I'll drop the link to the master. Zach, go ahead and hide my screen while I I go find a slide that I want to show.
0: All right, I hit, your screen is hidden.
1: Okay, cool. Um, I'm gonna. I'll actually show you guys this. Um, um. I'll I'll answer that question. So the question is this: Why is it that large multinational companies have awesome resources? They got amazing people, yet they're struggling digitally transform. Okay. Now it's a it's a complicated answer. Should I, put, should
0: I put you back your screen back now?
1: No, not yet. Let me. Uh, it is. Which one was it? Uh, why so hard? Right. So you guys, if you guys take the uh, the the master class, okay. Um, go ahead, Zach. Go ahead and show my screen. So if you take the master class, which is uh, it's um on IoT I, I basically shot like this ninety minute class. Right. It's really, literally. It's why is industry 4.0 so hard? Zach, will you put the link of that in there, please? Yep. Drop Into it the, in there. Okay. So what the answer is? Why are industry 4.0 so hard? And I, I literally shot this 90 minute video explaining it, soup to nuts. Okay. So from start to finish, you know, I just I literally got up on the vibe board and I said, you know, why is it so hard? It's because, in order for you to be successful, you, you there are three things you have to do. Okay. They're, they're not optional. You have to do them. If you fail in Industry 4.0 or in digital transformation, you only failed for one of three reasons. If you want to know like, the, the value that we provide our customers, it's that. You have to have the right technology. You have to have the right strategy. And you got to use the right partners. Now, I mean, we may not be the right partner in some case. I mean We're not right for every customer. If you're stupid, I'm going to tell you you're stupid. My, my team is going to tell you you're stupid. If, you're, if, you, if you've got some person you need to fire, we're going to tell you, you got to fire that person. If you put the wrong person as your chief technical officer, we're going to say, that person can't be your chief technical officer. If you've got a director who cares more about their career than the success of the company, we're going to tell you that director cares about themselves and they give, doesn't give a shit whether or not you digitally transform. What they care about what happens over the next six months so they can get promoted to VP. That's it. Our job is to, you know, if customers don't want to hear that kind of stuff, don't hire us. Do not hire us. If you say something you can't support in a meeting with me, I'm going to make you look like a fucking idiot. I'll tell you that right now. And it doesn't matter what your title is. I don't care what your title is. I don't give a shit who you are, where you went to school, what frat you were in. I will make you look dumb. That's who we are, right? Right partners means you make sure you pick the people who know how to tell you which tech to use, help you formulate your strategy, and we'll tell you the fucking truth. Okay, we if you don't want to hear the truth, don't hire us. Okay, we are, I'm not the person to be in your meetings, um, or or my team. Anybody on my team are not the people to be in your meetings because you know if you put an idiot in there with us, we're gonna tell you they're an idiot. That's one reason um, that uh, organizations fail when it comes to Industry 4.0. Why? Because they're run by accountants and HR people, okay? So most manufacturers, most end users are run by accountants and human resources, okay? The people, the right partners you need, the resources that you need to be successful are in the top 30% of employees. So every manufacturer, I'm not telling you guys you've never heard of, before, never heard before. If you work for a manufacturer, okay, doesn't matter, and, and, and Tesla is is not doesn't count here. Um, uh, GE doesn't count either. There are a couple of manufacturers that, that don't count um, because they have a different mindset about the way they, they manage their organizations. Uh, or tes- Tesla is a, is the best example, honestly. Um, here's what happens in a manufacturer. Okay, the top thirty percent in your organization after five years leave. They either go start their own company, they move to a better company, um, but they, they don't deal with the bullshit at a manufacturer, which is, there's a lot of things that happen at manufacturers that make no sense. <laughs> Everyone in the organization knows it makes no sense, and no one does anything about it. You want to know why? Purnell's iron law of bureaucracy. That's why. Okay? So the top 30% leave. People like me don't put up with that bullshit. People with, like say to Trevetti on here, he doesn't put up with that bullshit. There's lots of people who are in the top 30%. And when I say top 30%, it's highest performers. When you take what, how much they make relative to how much they generate, the, the delta, the profitability of that person is highest. They're in that top 30%. Um, they leave. You fire the bottom 30%, and you're left in the middle 40%. That, that is the people who stay over time 99% of them are in that middle 40 group, okay? Now, those middle 40 group are very important. That doesn't mean that there's no manufacturer out there right now that doesn't have anyone in the top 30% or top 5% of you know, technical minds in the industry. They do. My point is, is over a five-year period, they don't stay, okay? The, the change agents come in, they get frustrated, they leave. You need the people in that top 30% to digitally transform, digital transformation is not continuous improvement it is innovation and and innovators don't think the same way as people who go along to get along okay why is it that manufacturers have those types of people it's because they are run by accountants and human resources okay here's another issue that you have with manufacturers okay the general manager at, a, at a, your average manufacturing facility is gonna make you know, hundred to $120,000 a year, and then they're gonna have you know, a bonus program that changes over and over and over again. I mean, the GMs don't really make that much money. I mean, they make good money, but they don't make life-changing money, all right? A, 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 an elite-level engineer, that is, in a, you know, a, the, if you look at the people here who work in our company, Right, a, a a good systems integrator, a good systems integrator engineer, is going to generate five hundred to six hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue each year, and they're going to cost one hundred and fifty to one hundred eighty-five thousand. An average, an average systems integrator engineer is going to generate somewhere between four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars a year in annual revenue. Okay, your elite engineers. Are going to do in the millions. Okay. Think about this. A guy like me, I generate, me personally, I generate million, two million, three million, five million dollars in direct revenue off of me, just Walker Reynolds, not any other engineer every year. So that means I'm going to demand a salary that's in the $600,000, $800,000, million a year range. Think about that. My last year as a systems integrator, I made $660,000. There are lots of systems integrators on here who that fucking, it blows their mind. They're like, wait, what? I I know of 200,000. I know of 225,000. I know of 250,000. I I know lots of guys who make 250,000 in systems integration. But I've never heard anyone making 600,000. That is as an engineer or manager. I was a common engineer and a, a manager of operations. I mean, $660,000 that last year. You can't hire that fucking guy. There's no general manager who's going to tolerate, you know, paying, you know, he that guy's making six times what I'm making, okay? So they can't afford the resources. I mean, by the way, the, the A players, the people in the top 30%, they figure out how much money they can make real fast, okay? And then they go to their employer and they say, I'm underpaid. And they say, I don't know what to tell you. And they give all the normal bullshit and that person leaves. You cannot digitally transform an organization with, there are, there's two personalities that really help this happen. You got type A's and type B's. Okay, The type A are going to drive the bus. They're, 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 your, they're the people who are leading the initiative. Okay, Those type A's impose their will. They're the ones who take the risk. They're the ones who are not afraid to get yelled at. They're not, they're not afraid to, to uh, risk their career on something they're not, they're not sure is going to work, which is what you got to do with digital transformation, okay? And the type Bs follow the type As. The two people you have to avoid are the type A who don't give a shit about the mission. So the type A who's thinking about themselves only, prioritizing themselves over the mission. You got to avoid them, okay? And the type B who wants eight hour in a shower. You, you, you want to avoid those two people. Okay. The problem is, is that the type A's that stay at manufacturers are the ones who are only looking at themselves. Okay. And the type B's that stay at manufacturers who are not in that top 30%, they're the eight hours in a shower guy. They make the decision that I'm going to stay at the manufacturer because I want the security. And I want the security of staying at the manufacturer. Okay. All right. There's a second issue. Why digital transformation is so hard, okay? And it's on this slide right here. I strongly encourage you to, to watch this masterclass that Zach linked in here, okay? And that is this. The system is rigged against you. It's rigged, okay? And in, and in the masterclass, I go over why it's rigged. What's the reason it's rigged, okay? So manufacturers, because they're accountant and HR-driven, can't hire the resources they need to digitally transform. Doesn't matter how gifted their people are, they're still missing the pieces. They're missing the pieces. They may have super gifted people, but they're missing the pieces. When we go in and we engage with a client, one of the big things that we do is we're identifying the internal resources that they need to put on their digital transformation team. By the way, there are guys on this call, just on this call. I know there are people, there are, there are people on this call right now. I, I, I used to make a joke I've made more VPs in my career than I can count. And we're talking hundreds, hundreds of people who went from engineering level to VP level. There are many people on this call that just in the last nine months who are, they work at clients of ours, who have moved up three or four rungs on the organizational ladder through us identifying that they are the person or they, they're a person or persons who should be on those teams. I mean, we, you know, one guy was was a product engineer he was hired as a product engineer he was an engineer you know three rungs down after the DTMA that he's literally signing you know $600 PO or $600,000 POs and million dollar POs like literally those types of things why because part of our job in a DTMA is to go in and identify who those resource- resources are you need that person on your team you need that person on your team we're we're always trying to identify who the smartest person in the room is that everyone knows is the smartest person in the room but no one listens to, okay? Because they're frustrated, right? And then you've got um, and then we're also identifying who who shouldn't be on your team, right? But why is it that it's so hard? It's because these manufacturers are run by accountants and HR, so they can't hire the resources they need, okay? Because they can't hire the resources they need, they got to outsource. They'll instead of spending, you know, half a million dollars on an elite engineer per year, what they'll say is I'll spend a million, 1.2 million on a project that employs that half million dollar engineer for another company, okay? For another company for for 12 months. And then I don't have to pay their salary and benefits after that. That creates a market for exploitation. And that market exists today, you all know it, okay? Why does Rockwell Automation operate the way they do? Because of the way the way manufacturers operate. Manufacturers created the environment that allows Rockwell to thrive the way they thrive and Schneider to thrive the way they thrive. Okay, So you've got the vendors are the OEMs, machine builders, and distributors. The OEMs are all vertically integrated. What is that? Rockwell has products at every layer in the stack they want to sell. So what do they do? They go to machine builders and they give them a financial incentive to use their products with a caveat. You're going to lead with our products and you're not allowed to advertise other products. It doesn't matter that our products fucking suck. It doesn't matter that Rockwell makes terrible fucking software and everyone knows it rockwell makes bullshit software bullshit software the only rockwell piece of software i have ever been impressed with was asset center that's it every other piece of software they've ever made is shit (laughs) is shit the reason that they the reason that they spent a billion dollars a billion dollars On the PTC partnership is because for a fucking decade, they couldn't build anything that worked. A billion dollars. That's like the
0: Rockwell playbook, right? Leverage the fact that I sell products at one layer in the stack to get you to buy products at other layers in the stack, even though they are not best in class.
1: So why it's so hard is the machine builders. That's a point. Very good point, Zach. So machine builders, machine builders, they partner with the distributors and the OEMs. And they focus just on FAT, but they're stuck using the things the OEMs want the distributors to sell. It doesn't matter how good those things are. It's only matters that I want you to sell it, okay? The distributors partner with the OEM and the machine builders. And if you look at the way Rock—I in the masterclass, I explain, and I'm only, I'm, by the way, Rockwell is not the only company that does this. Let me qualify that. It's all the big players in automation, Okay. All the big players do the exact same thing. Why? Because of the way manufacturers build their businesses. They created the market for them to exploit. The problem is that worked fairly well in Industry 3.0 when it didn't matter which fucking PLC you bought. Here's <laughs> a newsflash, guys. Here's a newsflash. If I'm doing automation, I can basically do automation with the exact same PLC. I can use whatever PLC I want. It doesn't matter. They all do the same fucking thing. You, where you get into trouble is super super high speed super super high speed processes and motion control that's where you might want to steer you know hey you know mitsu makes the be- mitsubishi makes the best motion control PLCs in the world most people don't know that right omron makes the second best motion control PLCs in the world most people don't, don't know that either right but you you might want to you know you want to focus on omron and mitsu for motion control for oh, super market. super high speed stuff you want to go to like the big you know, the big, um, you know, um, L8s and, you know, L9s, that kind of stuff, right? So let me, let me finish my point here. So because of the way manufacturers operate, because they lose the talent that they need, because their payment, the way they pay people is out of whack with the with the, the market value of the people they need to do help with digital transformation, they are forced to outsource. And who do they go to? They go to integrators and consultants. And... What do integrators and consultants do? They partner with OEMs, machine builders, and distributors. They're part of the 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 uh, the corruption. Okay. So, what's the call to action? Right. So I said, you know, I I, I said what what needs to happen. Right. So I, I strongly encourage you. Um, I, I strongly encourage you to to watch the masterclass. But this is what I say: manufacturers need to reorg. Okay. They need to put tech people in charge. Okay? I there I I never want to throw up my mouth more than when I walk into a meeting with the leadership group of some manufacturer and I find out everybody in charge is a fucking idiot. An idiot. An idiot. If you if you met the some of the leaders that I've met in some of these manufacturers, you would be stunned. You would be stunned. Okay? Now they may be an amazing accountant and they may have been an amazing controller at one point but accountants and controllers don't understand context. They understand binary. Okay? So number 1 manufacturers need to reorg. They got to put tech people in charge. Num- <laughs> Look at all the best companies in the world. Look at all of the the industry 4.0 manufacturers. Guess who's in charge? Engineers, developers. Okay? Number 2 Vendors need to focus on solving problems with common technology, not solving problems so that you can sell the next product that you have to sell to them. And number three, most importantly, integrators and consultants need to be agnostic. We are not an inductive automation premier integrator. If you run into a premier integrator from inductive automation, I'll pick on an IA because I talk so amazing about them all the time, but I talk about this. Fucking run. 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 Why would you work with a Premier Integrator at Inductive Automation? Why would you do that? They're literally telling you that you, what you need to do is not allow the Premier Integrator to help you decide to use Ignition. What you do is decide to use Ignition and then use the integra- that Premier Integrator in small chunks to solve your Ignition problems and only your Ignition problems. Because they have a financial interest in selling ignition. The the first question you need to ask your integrators and consultants is: Do you sign um, partnership agreements with vendors? Do you have a financial interest in selling me, in selling me the product you're recommending? Ask that question. So why is it? And uh, n- newsflash we don't sign those agreements, okay? (laughs) We don't because we want to solve the fucking problem. And I can't solve the problem if I've got a partner who's sending me an email and going, hey, Walker, you didn't hit your sales goal. You know, hey, we met at the beginning of the quarter. You said you were going to sell... 1.1 1.1 million in licenses for us. It doesn't matter what the opportunities were. We just said this arbitrary number of 1.1 million. You want to know why people are buying modules and products and why they have licenses for shit they don't need? It's because of those relationships. But no, so few people know how the business actually works. So few people. So you want, to, you want to fix people failing with Industry 4.0? Fix the fucking industry first. Manufacturers need to put tech people in charge? Vendors need to focus on solving problems, and integrators and consultants must be agnostic. That's the problem. Chris Giel, that's the one reason I left a premier IA integrator. I'm telling you. I and listen, man. There's nothing I'm saying here that is not true. People may not like to hear it, but it's the truth. Okay. Any other questions that you guys want
0: me to answer? Uh, Mark Ritchie asked about the compact logics. Does it mean mm-hmm. minimum technical requirements? It does.
1: It does not. The, does the Compact Logix PLC family meet the minimum technical requirements? If not, what would be needed to get it to meet? So there's two ways we do it. I, by the way, I love Compact Logix. In part, in that video, I talk about this. I love the Control Logix platform. I run. I love Compact Logix platform. But that's all holdover from Alan Bradley. That's not Rockwell. Okay. So um, I, I'm a huge fan of Compact Logix. I am. Um, it's real hard to make the argument outside of, hey, we're a Rockwell house to use Compact Logics when you got the Groove Epic or the PLC Next specifically, because you're getting so much more for so much less. Um, and it meets the minimum technical requirements right out of the box, right? Mm-hmm. But the way that we do this integration, Mark, is we do it two ways, okay? The first way is every IoT platform out there. So if you look at WinCCOA, you look at frameworks, you, or Factory Studio frameworks. They want me to call it use the framework's term instead of Factory Studio, but and then um, or or Induct or Ignition or whether you um, a- any of the other tools, they all will talk to a Compact Logics directly. So what we will do is we'll do the data transformation, okay, into the MQTT namespace through the IoT platform. That's the most common way we do it. We do it all the time, right? We'll talk the native protocol directly to the Compact Logics and do the conversion in the IoT platform. All right. There are a couple other ways to do it. You can put an edge device out there that'll also so like the CMTSVR by Maple Systems is a great way to do it. I always mention that because you know for three hundred bucks I'm getting three hundred drivers and I'm getting native mobile HMI out on the edge. But that's another good way to do it. So no Compact Logics doesn't meet the minimum technical requirements, but for just a couple hundred dollars more, you can do the transformation from the Compact Logics into the ecosystem, and we do it all the time. It's a, it's probably the most common integration. I'm not I'm obviously not suggesting people rip out all their Rockwell PLCs and stuff. That's absurd, right? Um but yeah. All right. Any any other questions that you want me to answer? Michael Dowdell, I'm still waiting on my refund of twenty two thousand dollars. Amen. Rockwell software is garbage. We're all beta testers. Yes Matt Kendall. Matt Kendall, actually that is Rockwell's philosophy. There's another company that I'm not going to mention. Um uh that they're that's literally their philosophy they're they're a company that makes mes modules and um they they literally they're they they did not do qa testing before they released their modules that's why they were so buggy but their attitude was a customer beta test um any more to the point. questions all right I, mean, I got got a little fired up there <laughs> sorry all right guys uh, like a little mini ran it was cool <laughs> i did go on a mini run there didn't i
0: we'll see you guys next week um Remember, uh, early bird sale on Friday for Frameworks. Yes, appreciate
1: everyone. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.